Hello and welcome back to the Icelandic Roundup. My name is Josiane Gatens. I'm a journalist with the Reykjavik Grapevine and I'm joined by two lovely colleagues today, Andy Sophia. Hello. And our lovely intern, writer Emma Ledbetter. Hello. Welcome to the show, Emma. Wonderful to have you on. Thanks, glad to be here today. Um, and uh, we should mention, of course, our sponsor for today, which is the Lava Centre, an interactive volcano exhibition centre in the south of Iceland. If you're travelling around Iceland this summer, we definitely recommend checking it out. It's really fun, especially for kids, but really for everybody. Um, but we've got three stories to talk to you about today. Um, and I'm going to start, uh, and this is a story that, that's come up, about the de- Deputy Director of Public Prosecution. Mm. Easy for me to say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is Helgi Magnus Gunnarsson, and he's recently been criticised for his comments that he made about LGBTQ plus asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Um, these were comments that he made on a Facebook post where he shared an article uh, by a news outlet Vizir, um, where they did an interview with immigration lawyer Helgi Thorn- Thorstinsson. Thor- Thorstinsson. Thank you. Uh, Silva. <laughs> Um, where he uh, he said that uh, the government had accused his client um, of lying about his sexuality and refused him asylum on that basis. So this was someone who was um, trying to come to to apply for asylum in Iceland based on uh, persecution uh, of their sexual orientation in yes. whatever their country of origin was. Um, and Helgi Magnus Gunnarsson uh, shared this article on his on his Facebook and added the comments, and this is obviously translated, of course they are lying. Most people come here in search of more money and a better life. Who wouldn't lie to save themselves? Apart from that, is there any shortage of gays in Iceland? End quote. So this is uh, some spicy business, I would say, mm. to put it mildly. I mean, this is not the first time that he has made pretty controversial comments. No, it's not. And he's also not the only one to have done this either. No. I mean, it's interesting, like, what I thought when I read this was that there's this is really odd kind of, like, dichotomy between... You know, he says, like, who wouldn't lie to save themselves? So on one hand, I mean, he's not accurately grasped the situation. Mm-hmm. But he seems to have this like, element of, like, understanding that people are trying to when they come to Iceland it's uh, when they're coming to seek asylum in Iceland that it's under desperate situations that they're literally saving themselves yes but then he also says that that's that that is based on that they try to achieve that based on lying yeah yeah that, and that is a common refrain um, at the on the one hand you'll you'll have Icelandic uh, authorities um, talking very much about how wonderful it is to live in this country because it's so safe and so secure and how great it is for queer people here in comparison to other countries in the world. But when people come here to try to be a part of that society mm-hmm. and flee per- the persecution that authorities in Iceland are also aware of, then all of a sudden you have to prove your queerness yeah. to, to somebody who probably isn't queer. Um, just to be frank, in the immigration authorities. And this is basically, it, it takes a very, very narrow focus on like what constitutes queer. Um, mm-hmm. For example, if you're bisexual, pansexual, you're going to have an awfully hard time because if you've ever been in a relationship with someone of a different gender than yourself, mm-hmm. authorities will say, well, you're a heterosexual then, aren't you? Right. Like, you're not, clearly you're not gay. What do you, I mean, do you know it? 
anything in terms about how uh, the authorities are making those judgments. Yeah, it's basically a lot like how they prove that your marriage is real. Right, okay. Um, if, for those unfamiliar, if, um, you're, if you're a person of foreign origin and you married an Icelandic citizen um, and you're applying for citizenship or a residence permit, mm -hmm. if you got married outside of Iceland, chances are very strong um, that you'll need to prove that your marriage is real. Our former intern here, Sam O'Donnell, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, went through this ordeal. And proving it involves, you know, sharing your messages with one another, um, your social media profile to show that you've gone on trips together. Here's a picture of you celebrating your anniversary together, things of this nature. Um, I was actually really worried about this with my wife, but yeah. we got married in Iceland. No one said a peep. Really? Really? Nope. Because we got married here. That's so but interesting. if they did... I was actually kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> so I was like, oh boy, do I have a trove of stuff oh to send boy. immigration authorities. <laughs> and, but it didn't come to that. So that's basically what they do in this situation too, where like you have to demonstrate, which is absurd because like if you're fleeing persecution, yeah. you're not going to be openly, proudly, loudly gay. No, you might not. Posting on social media And posting on no. social media. Like, or even if like you're having a conversation and text message. Like, there are some parts of the world, believe it or not, I think that Edward Snowden might have alluded to this, mm. where your text messages might be intercepted by government authorities. Absolutely. And read. I mean, what's it, the, 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 the new, like, is it Pegasus software as well? And yes. like, governments are have been shown to be employing this. And I mean, mm -hmm. you might not even be out to your family, like, no. in a lot of these places. Like, it's, it's, it's really life or death situations that people are coming from. Absolutely it is. Um, but this is, as I said, it's not the first time that um, Helgi Magnus has expressed xenophobic or just straight up racist sentiments. No. Um, he was investigated by Stunden, which is an investigative journalist magazine here in Iceland, um, in 2019, uh, where he had again posted on Facebook. Um, I mean, I think there's, you can kind of imagine, regardless of where you are in the world, everybody probably has a, an uncle or an, a relative or an aunt or a older sometimes friend who shares certain types of videos and coverage. Yes. And it's like, you know, this kind of highly shared kind of viral, like kind of... Like, Facebook xenophobia has a real particular taste. Mm -hmm. So he shared a video um, or shared uh, shared news that a high percentage of violent crimes in Norway were committed by immigrants and said, I don't care about more open borders for migrants. Should we expect this? Um, and he then expressed the opinion that there's silence about sexual offences committed by Muslims in Britain, um, which I can guarantee you there is absolutely not. Um <laughs> In my personal experience, um, and he's also been criticised for liking Facebook posts that call into question the testimony of women who say they've been the victim of domestic abuse. Mm. I mean, what, Andy, like, can you sort of explain the particular significance of someone in Helgi Magnus's position mm -hmm. holding these kinds of views? So he's a prosecutor, and in the, um, in the immigration system, like his, it's basically his. It is his job to pick apart um, anybody's testimony, mm -hmm. and so that's one thing. It's another thing to like publicly 
go on social media and announce to the world that you have extreme biases against queer people and people of other races and religions. I mean, in any, I don't know, country with justice, like this would be cause for immediate dismissal Yeah. as you're just not qualified for your job. I mean, granted, he's not a judge. Mm -hmm. He's not a defense attorney. But he's kind of setting a but tone. But mm -hmm. as a prosecutor, though, like one thing that um, we had uncovered here um, in our investigative piece about Article 19 of the Law and Police mm -hmm. is that prosecutors have a tremendous amount of power in Iceland. Yes, yeah. They have first access to evidence. They work very closely with the police, as they do in most other countries. But um, the notion of discovery mm -hmm. in Iceland, which is, you know, a lawyer, like with lawyers on both sides, defense and prosecution, mm -hmm. will have full access to this, all the same evidence. Discovery is kind of um, weak, to put it mildly, in really? Iceland. Okay. Yes, where yeah. like defense attorneys, prosecutors can gatekeep a lot of the evidence where defense attorneys have to like go through a lot of hoops or they're only allowed in like a single room for an hour to review some videotape that might be edited or they might only get screenshots from a video. So he has a tremendous amount of power in the legal system. And here he is publicly demonstrating for years, apparently, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and under um, what appears to be, well, I guess the same government, um, that he is, you know, biased. Now, let's not forget that, like, he would be working under the auspices of the Ministry of Justice. Yes. Which is a ministry that has been run by the Independence Party since time immemorable. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, since, not since the crash, I think. Well, actually, no. No, no, I take that back. 2009 to 2013, when we had our first and only leftist government, yeah. we did have. But then we had somebody who was appointed. Mm-hmm. We had, we had, like, appointed some non-politician to that position. It was a very strange time. Anyway, the conservatives have been running this ministry for a very, very, very long time. And, yeah, they have a very troubling history of their opinions towards queer people, towards yeah. Muslims in particular, yes. and people in color, of color in general. Yeah, they have, I mean, the, the, the Ministry of Justice has this, like, notorious, um, yeah, kind of right-wing viewpoint and, and always has done, despite, you know, other things that are happening in the government. Mm. I mean, Emma, like, as someone who's, you know... Uh, both Andy and I are immigrants to Iceland, mm -hmm. but as someone who's coming as a, as a visitor who doesn't live here, is this something that surprised you about Icelandic politics? I'd say a little bit because I, as an American, I see Iceland as very liberal and progressive. Um, in the U.S., it's not surprising to me that a lot of prosecutors are going to be more right-leaning. Mm. And that's something that I see even in my state, which is a really blue state. Um, but I, it was very surprising to see that here. Yeah. Um, kind of contrary to what I expected when I decided to come here. So. I think it is really interesting. I think, you know, Iceland does continue to hold this, um, this image in people's minds. I talk about it a lot. Mm. It's certainly something that I had to get my head around when I, when I came here. Um... But, you know, it is, it is incidences like this. And it is exactly as you say, Andy, like, it's not that this doesn't happen in other countries. Mm -hmm. yes. um, but it's the fact that it won't lead to his dismissal. Right. That I just find really galling. Like, mm -hmm. how can we just have people say these kinds of things? And he's clearly aware. Yeah. Like, other, if he feels very comfortable to, to say, like, this complete right. mask-off stuff. He on knows social nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Because he knows nothing's going to happen. Right. I should say he has now deleted the Facebook post. Um, and in terms of the, the client who uh, this... Uh, 
lawyer that, that, that who was in the, the article that he shared, um, the government did later reverse the decision about uh, about who was uh, I haven't taken the lawyer's name, um, but uh, the government later reversed the decision. Um, but this lawyer has said that this is indicative of a wider part uh, pattern within mm-hmm. within the government decisions. Um, oh, the the because the lawyer was also called Helgi. That's why I'm confusing myself. Yes. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Helgi Thorstein. It's like oh, I've just put in Helgi lots of times. Um, so yes, uh, it's not ideal, and I think it's really shocking that mm. we don't have a kind of even more of an outcry about mm. this from other members of the government and yeah. recognition within other uh, people within the justice system as well. Oh, um, it's a subject for a whole other news <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> as to why we're not hearing more of an outcry from other <laughs> members of the government. Totally. Well, moving on <clears throat> for now to lighter news. Monkeypox. <laughs> Monkeypox. Emma, monkey you have a, a kind of specialist interest in, in public health and uh, well, well, explain your background. I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah, I just finished my microbiology degree, so I have a bachelor's in this, in viruses and bacteria. It's, love this stuff. I love um, working in the office with Emma because <laughs> as she looks for news each day, you'll just hear comments from from her over from her desk like, saying things like, ooh, cholera. <laughs> Absolutely. And like as news editor, if I see some sort of like disease-related news, I know I can just <laughs> like, to Emma. drop it in Emma's immediately and she's all over it all over it. I love the disease news (laughs) uh, tell Um, us about monkeypox yeah so monkeypox is something we've been hearing about for about two, two and a half months now um, ever since the beginning of May and the World Health Organization actually this weekend took kind of an added step and upgraded the level of this disease emergency so now they're considering it a public health emergency of international concern which is really the kind of highest priority they can give for diseases and they've only ever used this designation for COVID-19 which we're still in this pandemic and then polio um, which is near eradication but still not quite there Um, Mm. so that really indicates kind of this severity of this. Um, But really what's interesting to me is that the World Health Organization advisors couldn't agree on this. They met um, at the end of June last month and couldn't decide on it, so they ultimately didn't upgrade the severity of the emergency. Um, And then they met again this last weekend and just could not reach a consensus. So the director general actually had to override them um, in order to make this decision. That's really interesting, the fact that there wasn't uh, a firm agreement because, I mean, like you said, you know, the, the, the other time that this has been used other than polio is COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, um, you know, that they have called this uh, a, a public health uh, emergency of international concern at a point far before uh, they did with COVID. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this is a, a case of like once bitten, twice shy, basically? They're trying to like cover their bases a little bit more. I don't know. That's... I'd like to believe that, but from everything I've read from disease specialists who are kind of on the front lines of this um, new epidemic, um, they didn't declare it soon enough. And I think mm. we really see that um, reflected in the HIV pandemic, mm-hmm. that yes. very similar, it started spreading among the LGBTQ population. Um, same with monkeypox, we're seeing it mainly in men who have sex with men. Mm-hmm. Um 
But officials, you know, they kind of delayed and they delayed and they just kept stalling when in reality we saw that cases were increasing really rapidly. Um, and with HIV, that continued for a long time before it was nationally or internationally recognized as a problem. Right. So since you brought up um, the, the, the origins mm -hmm. in terms of like its mode of transmission, um, over the weekend... Um, I'd, I'd seen a new story about uh, some children who had contracted this disease, and this has kind of blown up on social media, in particular right-wing social media, yeah. <laughs> who are now talking about, like, because as some people might be aware, unfortunately, like, the groomer narrative mm. is really big with right-wingers where they accuse any queer person of being right. a groomer of children. And so now that a couple of children have contracted monkeypox, um, could, given your background, could you maybe clear the air a little bit? Like, is monkeypox an STI? So no, monkeypox is not an STI. And I this is a conversation that I've had with people before that um, you can have a disease that's spread through sex, but that doesn't make it an STI. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to be careful, like, talking about monkeypox because stigma is part of the issue of the disease. Absolutely. Um, so we, we want to be really careful. There's a lot of ways monkeypox can spread. Mm -hmm. And just because it's mainly been spreading between men who have sex with men doesn't mean that that's the only way it spreads. And we've seen instances of just direct skin contact. Yeah. Like if you had one of the sores or blisters, um, mm -hmm. something that's unique about monkeypox is you can actually get the blisters on the palm of your hands. Um, that doesn't happen with a lot of other diseases. So mm -hmm. if you had, you know, prolonged contact with somebody's hand who had a blister on it, like that could potentially give you monkeypox. Um, it also spreads through fomites, which are um, disease or viral particles on surfaces. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily get it from touching a table, but if you had, like, if you shared a towel or a bed with somebody who had monkeypox mm -hmm. and was releasing fluid from these sores, yeah. that could be a potential way of getting infected. So there's a lot of ways that you can get infected outside of sex. Okay. That's just what we see really commonly. I'm really glad that you've addressed this mm -hmm. because like it's it's going to blow up into a not that it's gonna make any difference to people with an agenda to push. Right. But like for everybody else <laughs> who is like trying to become informed, right. I, I'm really glad that you clarified this. Yeah. And I think it's super important to address um because one thing the World Health Organization talked about is that when we see the disease spreading within a certain population, so mm -hmm. for example, men who have sex with men, that's obviously of great concern. Like we want to protect people in that group and yeah. individuals who may have contact with them. Mm -hmm. But when it starts spreading to people in other vulnerable populations, like pregnant women, children, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that's where it starts to become really concerning because we want to know how it's getting into those populations as well. And what we're seeing with monkeypox is that we don't really know how it's spreading into these groups. That's really interesting. I read about this as well, is that like, even in terms of the, the when it spreads between men who have sex with men, beyond that fact the mechanism by which it's spreading is still not super clear. Mm -hmm. Like what it is that creates the, the transmission moment kind of thing right. is not super clear. And that obviously seems to be having a big impact on, on controlling the spread of this disease. Right. I think another thing kind of in that vein, controlling the spread of disease is the availability of testing. So yes. right now testing has been pretty limited because you have to go to these specialized centers, at least in the US. Mm -hmm. um, here, what you would do is contact your doctor and then they would be able to tell you where to go for testing. You'd probably have to go to the national hospital. Yes. Um, 
but now that we have this um, public health emergency of international concern, um, supposedly testing is going to be more widely available. And so that will hopefully help prevent transmission as if people know they're positive. Yeah, but, absolutely. Can you give us a little update specifically about the Icelandic situation then? Yeah, I think the Icelandic situation compared to the rest of the world is a little less concerning. And part of that has to do with Iceland is a small island and um, the people that are mainly coming in are tourists and they may not be having that kind of prolonged direct physical contact with people who live here, which is what we would need to see um, it's spreading more. Uh, but in Iceland, there have been nine cases. Um, all of them were in men and almost all of them, I want to say seven or eight, were in people who had a recent history of travel to mainland Europe, okay. um, where it's really kind of spreading rampantly. Um, but in Iceland, we don't have access to vaccines yet. Um, supposedly, there will be 1,400 uh, doses available in the fall, um, but that's still a ways off. And yes, it, absolutely. Considering how fast things are changing and spreading. So. Indeed. I mean, something then I think is really interesting that's kind of come up in conversation, kind of almost the, the opposite way round from, from the issue that you were raising, Andy, is um, people who are saying, um, we, we had a conversation like this earlier today, uh, that, okay, so it's, it, you know, it's in this, it's mainly in this population of men who have sex with men that this condition is spreading, but shouldn't we be thinking about vaccinating everyone? Mm. You know, everyone's really equally at risk. I mean... I think this is similarly, again, with the HIV situation in terms of the availability of PrEP, which is the, oh. the drug mm -hmm. that um, you can take that can prevent you from contracting HIV. Um, how do you guys feel about that, about, about kind of this targeted approach, this kind of positive discrimination? How, yeah, w what are your thoughts on that, basically? I'm not sure I understand the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I didn't clarify that very well. But but basically the fact that when we have these vaccines, which yes. it's not a particularly huge number and when we're kind of desperately waiting on them, mm -hmm. the plan is to focus on the community that is appears to be most at risk and not offer, like with the COVID vaccine, offer the, the, the vaccines for everybody. Now, we did do this with the COVID vaccine, you could argue, with when it, vaccines first became available, they were offered firstly to uh, those who were most likely to be considerably at harm from COVID, mm -hmm. those who yeah. had underlying health conditions or who were older. Um, but there are those out there at the moment who are saying, you know, this doesn't just affect um, the gay, queer, LBGT, LGBTQ plus community, it could affect anyone, we should be vaccinating everyone, we can't just focus on right. this. Uh, and just like my layperson's opinion anyways, um, when it came to like prioritizing who to give the COVID vaccine to, mm -hmm. it wasn't due to like, it wasn't due to their sexual orientation or anything of that nature. Mm -hmm. It was more to the fact that they had physiological conditions mm -hmm. that made them especially vulnerable or that made the virus impact them harder. So I think that if we had that particular approach of like the people who would be, have underlying conditions where yeah. the monkeypox virus would be especially dangerous to them, yeah. then that's the group that should be given this vaccine first. Like it's seems to be epidemiology 101. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not even a clinician. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I would, to be to be fair, I'm not an epidemiologist or a clinician either. Yes. But um, what we're seeing with monkeypox is um, vaccination in what's called a ring fashion. Mm-hmm. So you get somebody who's tested positive, and then their close contacts are really going to be the only ones vaccinated to prevent further spread. Mm. Right. Just because it's not. It's not as transmissible as COVID. That's just kind of the fact of how the virus works. Thankfully, it's mm-hmm. not as transmissible as COVID. Um, I'd be interested to see, you know, farther along the line if that changes now that we're seeing greater spread. Because that was kind of the um, epidemiological consensus at the beginning was vaccinating in a ring. Yes. Um, which is kind of what you were talking about, that, you mm-hmm. know, you're selecting people who are most susceptible to being infected. Yeah. yeah. Um, and with the with the vaccines that are available, I have to do my research on the um, updated, the monkeypox vaccine. But the smallpox vaccine... Um, is very different from what we have with the COVID vaccine. It's a different type, and people would actually be shedding virus for, I want to say, like a month after that. Well, so that sounds, it sounds scary, but it's a it's a harmless virus that's really just going to prep your immune system. Okay. But if you're, you know, you're vaccinated and you're shedding that virus and you come into contact with somebody who's immunocompromised, mm-hmm. then that becomes an issue. That doesn't happen with the COVID vaccine because it's yeah. an mRNA vaccine. Mm-hmm. So you're not shedding whole virus. So with the smallpox vaccine, that is a concern. Um, but, you know, smallpox vaccine and monkeypox vaccine, those are both being offered to stop the spread of monkeypox. So there's just a lot of considerations with okay. vaccines. Well, we'll obviously keep you updated uh, as the situation develops in Iceland. And we really hope to get these, these vaccines soon. And, um, you know, but luckily we are in good shape in terms of the number of cases that we're having Absolutely. here. Yeah. I would like to jump in with one more question about this. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, don't let think... me shut you off. No, 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 no. Uh, just because, okay, we're all familiar with long COVID. Mm-hmm. So it work. Can you talk about if someone gets monkeypox, like, do, are we knowledgeable about, like, the short-term and long-term impact this virus has on the human body? It's a great question. I personally am not and can only speak to what the vaccine does. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the vaccine... Um, this is the smallpox vaccine is one of very few vaccines that will really give you lifelong immunity to this infection. Um, so if that's any indicator of how monkeypox could react with the human body, we might see people getting infected once and then never again. Mm. Mm. Um, but you know, we can't say that for sure. We need a lot more research and I don't know if we would have, you know, kind of those long-term infections. Mm. Um, but we're definitely going to see less of the mutations and those variants that have become so common for us to hear about with COVID. Okay. Thank you. That's all. Thanks. Very interesting. It's so nice to have someone here who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> it's fun to talk about it. <laughs> I was just thinking about the sports episode that we did. Oh my goodness. That was so much fun. It was so much fun. Who we wants lo- to hear about sports from people who know about sports? <laughs> okay, Andy, what story have you brought for us today? Uh, slut walk. Slut walk! Which I understand you attended. I did, yeah. I, I, I've got the great audio content, content, but I've got the tattoo to prove it. Oh, that's, is that a stick-on? Or is it's it? a stick-on. No, oh, I okay. didn't actually get what to it. What does that say? It says Drusla, which means slut. Ah. And uh, my mother thought it was real, and she was very upset. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're very fashionable, and I, yeah. I thought I looked great. But um, Absolutely. Yeah, this took place on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And has been taking place for a few years now. Like, Iceland picked up this thread pretty quickly after it originated in Canada, if I remember correctly. 
that, that exotic island. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I didn't realize that, that, that Slut Walk originated in, in Canada. Yeah, it was a, a Toronto police chief who basically, um, I don't remember what the occasion was, but he was um, addressing a group of young women, and he basically said, if you don't want to be sexually assaulted, then watch the way you dress. Uh, and that old chestnut. Classic. <laughs> yes. And it, it, we love hearing that. And yeah. so then naturally, uh, um, quite a few women took umbrage um, to this saying, like, maybe, <laughs> you, like, you being the police, you all should do your job, and, like, is this really our problem to deal with when it's, you know, men who rape? Anyways, so they had the first slut walk where they dressed how they wanted to dress. Yeah. In some cases, people would dress, um, unfortunately, how they were dressed when they were assaulted. Um, in other cases, they would people just dress as they want to, just to, to drive on the point that, you know, sexual assault is not caused by dressing a particular way. I think this was really interesting because the day that this took place this year in um, in Iceland, it was last Saturday, and it was actually a surprisingly sunny day. Mm -hmm. And this is a really, that the the walk started at Hallkrumskirka and it came down to the square outside of the parliament, um, which is really common as a place where people gather on a yes. sunny day. And it's not uncommon for men to take their tops off and to lie in the sun and to enjoy the fact that sun feels nice on your body and that mm. you have a body that you're able to uh, expose and, and to regulate your temperature. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people there, you know, uh, who were wearing bras or, or, or crop tops or things like this and the kind of sense of freedom of just being able to do that without thinking being in a context where you knew that you weren't going to get catcalled and you mm. knew that you were yeah it was so liberating to have that experience um where at all of the times I would have to be thinking about how I presented myself in that scenario yeah um but uh you know, there again, going going back to the sort of original story that we had here about the deputy director of public prosecution, there are people who will be surprised that there's a need for slut walk in Iceland. Yeah. Um, but there really is, isn't there? There absolutely is. It happens every time there's a um, <clears throat> there's a sexual assault case that comes up. Um, the Westman Islands. Um, now there's going to be a festival coming up there soon. Yes. And there's been. Um, some issues in the past with people bringing up the fact that uh, there's always going to be, unfortunately, like, there, well, almost always going to be, like, sexual assaults, plural, that happen at this festival. And when uh, Stigamult, which is a rape crisis prevention center, um, went there some years back mm -hmm. to try to set up an information booth, um, this was met with some resistance. Um, with, from organizers in particular saying that this like would increase the likelihood of assaults happening, which is a bit like saying the presence of firefighters increases the likelihood of fire, but like, <laughs> and it, which is a ridiculous statement to make, yeah. you know, on their part. But like, this is, this is a part of like, um, what I see anyway, as Iceland's particular problem when it comes to sexual assault is that. It's a difficult topic. Mm -hmm. It makes people uncomfortable, mm -hmm. naturally. And, but it's so difficult to tackle and there are like so many different 
factors that go into this particular subject that a lot of people don't want to address it at all. Yeah. Like it's going to take a lot of um, different approaches in order to combat sexual assault, Mm -hmm. which at its core is that like people shouldn't commit sexual assault. Absolutely. It has absolutely nothing to do with uh, people who are more susceptible to be sexually assaulted, having to change their behavior Mm -hmm. or police where they go and when and who with um, to have to like watch your drinks like, I don't go to bars or clubs anymore, pretty much, because I get so sick and tired of having to hover over my drink at Absolutely. all times. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's no fun, you know? But that's pretty much what it's been about, all about, is, like, all this emphasis placed on, like, what you can do to keep from being assaulted. Yeah. As opposed to what you can do to not assault people, which is not assault people. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We should point out as well, in terms of this this, this festival, that um, the situation does appear to have changed in the last couple of years. It has. Didn't, it has. Didn't, You're absolutely right. Didn't run in the last two years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, and I can't, you know, I've never been there. Um, but if you go on their website now, they, they do have a Red Cross presence and they have a, a sort of um, safety policy that's very prominent on the website. So this they, is absolutely true. They do seem to be making steps towards steps in the right direction but steps are frustrating because they don't get you where you want to be straight away exactly Um, you're absolutely right about that like i am talking about something that happened a few years ago yeah 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 yeah. like the the disc and that's what's what's so important about people speaking up Mm -hmm. and it's like such as events in events such as sled walk yeah because that will have an effect like, this is this festival that happens once a year. The Westman Islands, like, it's kind of like the lifeblood mm-hmm, of the economy. And so a lot is riding on it going smoothly and people coming there every year. They used to be able to just rest on their laurels. Yeah. They can't do that anymore. And so it's very encouraging to see them taking these steps that, that you rightfully pointed out they are taking. Absolutely. I mean, the the walk was um, was really well attended, mm-hmm. and we, there were some really great speeches as well. They were in Icelandic, so I didn't catch all of the details in yes. them. Um, what was the vibe? Like? The vibe was was great. I mean, again, like a lot of um, a lot of events and a lot of uh, things in life in general. Uh, Slot walk hasn't been able to take place for the last two years, so it was the first one um, since uh, the pandemic i know you, you hate saying <laughs> post pandemic but for the for this context later pandemic later pandemic yes po- later, yeah. <laughs> humans of, of late, late pandemic. stage yeah. the, the end times <laughs> the end times for the end times it was lovely um <laughs> And it felt like there was really good uh, queer representation there as well, which is really important to see because um, all of these different communities that interact in this regard are uh, at risk of sexual assault. Yes. And so seeing a place where people can come together and raise these topics as a community and Mm. see the strength of that rather than be divided into their component parts was really important I felt. It's very encouraging. Yeah it was and and the speeches were very well received. I think there is an interesting element of discourse to come that maybe we're seeing early signs of in Iceland and I noticed this in terms of both the speeches but also in terms of some of the the protest signs where there seems to be a disagreement about um police involvement in uh-huh. in policing and, 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 and in managing um, 
the protection of, of, of these communities. Where do you see the divide happening? Well, so for instance, in, in this event, there were protest signs that basically were, to summarize, were sort of saying that, you know, more police involvement involvement doesn't protect people, it can cause more harm than good, essentially. Mm. Versus there was a uh, talk, uh, one of the speeches by politician Lenya Roon, who's been on the podcast. Mm. She's excellent. She does a lot of really amazing work. But she was talking about, uh, at certain points in her speech, about about the police needing more, uh, and I'm not sure if she necessarily said powers, but basically should be prosecuting more, um, should have more involvement, there needed to be better integration, essentially. And something that she, she brought up as well was that um, she felt that, that Icelanders um, were less likely to intervene when they suspected domestic abuse in a family of foreign origin, which uh, contradicts a lot of people's experience, which is that um, there can be a lot of mistrust uh, of of if, you know the neighbors calling the police for the, the smallest thing and and people yeah. feeling at risk of having their children removed and all kinds of yeah. things so i think that's really interesting i'm um, obviously in the uk um we had a really terrible incident uh i think last year if i'm right which was the death of sarah everard who mm -hmm. was a woman who was killed by a, an off-duty police officer that's right and the subsequent protest from there mm. was incredibly heavily handed uh, by the, the police were incredibly heavily, heavily handed when when dealing with protesters yes, and I think that that conversation is it's interesting seeing it, it it's been it's been a conversation that's been within certain communities in Iceland for a long time. Yes. Um, and you will need to read Andy's upcoming piece that she's working on at the moment, be out her next issue, where she will be, you know, discussing parts of this. I mean, you can tell us a little bit more about that in terms of protesters who have... Or um, there was an arrest at, at Pride one year as well. Yeah, there was. Um, so definitely look out for for Andy's, Andy's piece on that. But while that's been in, in these kind of small communities um, to see it reaching this point with the slut walk where, you know, 50% of the population, women, mm. in, in other words, might be going, hold on a minute, this also impacts us. Yeah. And we have to have a conversation about that. So, so seeing this conversation about policing become more mainstream, I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm really fascinated to see how that progresses. Definitely so. Definitely so. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Emma and Andy Sophia, for coming on. As usual, I always have a lot of fun when we get to talk about whatever we want to talk about, <laughs> whether it's sports or things that we know slightly more about. Or homophobia, disease, and sexual assault. Oh, God, so much fun. <laughs> um... Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm. um, we may or may not be back with you next next week because it's a national holiday on on Monday, which is our recording date. We may put something out later in the week or we'll be back with you the following Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, please don't forget to rate and review the Icelandic Roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does make a huge difference to mm -hmm. where we uh, go in the algorithm and whether or not we're able to reach new people. And... 
makes us feel good about ourselves. And makes us feel good about ourselves. <laughs> we need that, very that important. ego boost. <laughs> I always need that external locus of evaluation. <laughs> um, and <laughs> as ever as well, apologies for the construction, airplane, and various animal and human interruptions. <laughs> There's nothing like recording a podcast in the middle of a busy office in the middle of a crazy city. Um, it adds colour, it adds panache. Yeah, it's jazz, baby. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye.